I've recently reached into the chalice, cupped a uh, cup hand of water, and put it into my parched and thirsty mouth. Mm. 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 I actually had a uh, a Belgian freeze <laughs> before I recorded. <laughs> I don't think of you can talk you about that on the airwaves. Kate's Michael. not here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, that's true. This that's is true. a podcast. Welcome <laughs> to Game of Bones. Welcome yes. to Game of Bones. Kate is off uh, vacationing in parts unknown. Yes. Also known as California. <laughs> a, a bottle of brandy was just text messaged in picture form to me uh, and reminds me to focus. These were two interesting <laughs> chapters this week. And I, and I, you know, we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording as we usually do. As we do. And, uh, you know, I, I may have said a few snarky things about um, in uh, in text messages. The number was actually two. Two snarky things. Two snarky things, uh-huh. yeah. Okay. But but they're very short chapters. Um, not a whole lot happens, but yet I think there's something to be taken from both of them because um, we're back with two Starks, which... Uh, you know, I know we had Danny and Sansa last week and, and got some interesting feedback, particularly on the Sansa chapter. Kate, mm-hmm. actually, the reason Kate's not on the show is she's still responding to people from Watchers on the Wall. <laughs> she had a great time with it. And I'm glad that so many people were able to join in such, I would say, bright conversation. I feel like so many different points of view were mm-hmm. unearthed. And that's just the kind of that's all you can ask for after, you know, following an episode of our discussion to see more discussion carry on and take place. That's yeah. Literally as good as it gets. I was really impressed. Like I, I went on there and I saw that there were over forty responses and, and Kate was she got in there and she was going back and forth with people and yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent with what you just said because it's not just about us discussing it here on the show. We want you to continue the discussion. We want you to, you know, add on to what we have to say. And that's in part why we do the owns. But, you know, even uh, more so than that, and it was just kind of interesting to read through all the different comments that people had, differing opinions. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean anybody's right or wrong. Um, but just the fact that uh, it seemed like at the end of the day, everybody was willing to agree to disagree on certain things. And uh, uh, I know that uh, that's the kind of discussion that we look forward to in future chapters. Yeah. Imagine George Martin seeing that kind of conversation taking place about words that he wrote. That's that's literally all, all that you can ask for is that you created such a such a sharp uh, representation of a make-believe world or, or universe, almost in this case, with such rich lineage and genealogy and history, even leading up to where our story is taking place, and all of that kind of coming into uh, the scope of what shapes the conversation. So, it's pretty and cool. The fact that you've created something that's so detailed that it can have multiple opinions. About exactly. It. You know, the fact that anybody can quote. The text just shows that you've, you've built a world properly. To have characters that are so deep that they're open to multiple interpretations is uh, truly a, 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 a remarkable feat and and pretty much a signal of success. Yeah, it, it, it's really cool to see characters go through sort of the same things as far as personal growth and development. Whether they're they're stuck in a situation like hers or a situation like Arya's or a situation like Jamie's or like we're going to talk about today with uh, Arya and John, how these different stretches of their comfort zones, like what they're used to experiencing in their life, how these new hardships make them feel, you know, and they're mm-hmm. again, like I said, they're kind of going through the same sorts of things, but in different ways and the mm-hmm. fact that that is happening all in the same book is so interesting. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned growing up because I think that Arya um, in this chapter, it's kind of a, I mean, it's not a long chapter. It's kind of just a, a heads up as to where Arya is though in on the growth scale because she's in, 
what is it, a brothel, but she doesn't quite know what that means, mm-hmm. um, to be in a brothel. And it just, it just shows that there are some things that she has remained innocent about. It's funny that, um, she would remain innocent in that sense when you look at everything that she's going through in in this chapter and the chapters preceding it, just the level of devastation, destruction, death that she witnesses on a pretty regular basis. I mean, she's going through parts of Westeros that have been absolutely destroyed by war. Yeah. And you know, we're seeing all of this through the eyes of somebody who's extremely young, right? Ten years old or so. Yeah. And she becomes hardened by it all. And I think that more than anything else causes her to grow up very, very quickly. These are horrors that she's never had to consider things like hunger and thirst, you know, apart from what the war is bringing, there's, there's so many things that she's gone through in in this chapter and up to this point that someone of her birth just has no idea uh, of, uh, you know, that they, they hear stories and, and it doesn't, necessarily set in you know we just like we we hear stories of, of terrible things happening across the planet um whether through history or whether it's actually happening now and you know i feel like we maybe sympathize and, and understand and and try to learn as much as we can but in her case you know she's walking into this place the stony sept with her her band of of friends essentially and uh, again even though this is a, a safe environment there's lots of horror here. Yeah, I mean, there's no better evidence than these men that she comes across in the cages. Oh, absolutely. And see, the, at first, I, I thought they were in some kind of a jail when they were speaking about the, the Ravens' cages. But yeah. when I found out that there were grown men put in these cages, I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a 10-year-old girl who is traveling with this band of outlaws who is – meeting up in this case with another band of outlaws and she is witness to some pretty horrific things. It's, it just shows you, and I liked your tie in because I I think that there are probably fair representations to things that are happening in the real world where a young person who could be very similar to Aria is experiencing these types of things. And, you know, maybe we hear stories about it. Maybe we would never even know it. Um, but in her case, you know, these particular moments start, start to shape her and start to define her character and you really create the makeup of who she is to become later on in this book, later on in this series. And Arya, for being a wild one as she is, you know, as she does tend to be when she's got, she's got like all these big, um, she has to be big because there's all these tall men around her all the time. I mean, she's having dreams where she's, you know, like a wolf howling to the wildness, but there's still some, you know, innocence or, or rather, uh, manners, politeness. There's still some highborn in her, you know, when she sees these men in the cages at the beginning of the chapter and she gets water, uh, for them, you know, they ask her for a drink of water and she goes and gets one from the fountain. It shows that she is still better than ever than most than let's just say every other guy in that square well she's certainly less brutal and i and i think that the brutality that she faced and that everyone including the people that aren't highborn like her that aren't traveling with for all intents and purposes this is pretty much i mean just judging by the way they're they're treated by the people here in the stony sept um they're they're pretty they're doing well you know considering 
and in looking at what the commoners have gone through, the the blackened houses, every other house, and uh, the stories of the men that um, were on whichever mission from whichever highborn lord sitting in his cushioned chair, you know, dictating orders. You know, when they would get bored, they would they would just rape people. Like there's people just out on the lookout for women. There's people out on the lookout for plunder. There's people out on the lookout just for fun. And uh, I feel like the show does a pretty good job of, you know, because obviously we can't go into to paragraphs long uh, or scenes long, in the show's case, detail of, uh, of how those things are done. But uh, I'm thinking specifically of the uh, scene in the first episode of the fourth season where there's just references to what they have been doing up and down the King's Road. And uh, this chapter does a pretty good job, again, of just of, of painting the differences between the kinds of people that do do that and the people that don't, mm-hmm. in addition to putting just a really bright spotlight on where we are exactly. And I think yeah. that understanding the location that we're at uh, adds a whole other layer of, of understanding to how times have changed. You know, since past, well, actually, you know what? It would probably just be better if I read it from the chapter because I could go from my from my mind and be like, oh, this, this, and this. But I think the book is probably a little bit more concise than my rambles. Okay, do it. Stony Sept was the biggest town Arya had seen since King's Landing. And Harwin said her father had won a famous battle here. This is where it gets cool. The Mad King's men. Sorry, this is a, this is a uh, this is someone someone's talking. The Mad King's men had been <laughs> hunting Robert, trying to catch him before he could rejoin your father. He told her he's not old, but deal with it. As they rode toward the gate, he was wounded, being tended by some friends. When Lord Connington the Hand took the town with a mighty force and started searching house by house, before they could find him, though. Lord Eddard and your grandfather came down on the town and stormed the walls. Lord Connington fought back fierce. They battled in the streets and alleys, even on the rooftops, and all the septons rang their bells so the small folk would know to lock their doors. Robert came out of hiding to join the fight when the bells began to ring. He slew six men that day, they say. One was Miles Mooton, a famous knight who'd been Prince Rhaegar's squire. He would have slain the hand, too, but the battle never brought them together. Connington wounded your grandfather Tully sore, though, and killed Sir Dennis Aaron, the darling of the Vale. But when he saw the day was lost, he flew off as fast as the griffins on his shield. The Battle of the Bells, they called it, after. Robert always said your father won it, not him. Don't you love that? That this is where that happened? And now <laughs> his son is, or his son, no, his well, daughter. I mean, Arya is often viewed as, no. Just kidding. Yeah, there's a bit uh, of confusion in this chapter. His daughter's here. Yeah. So cool. It is cool. Uh, and the mention of Lord Connington, uh, you know, going back to the Bran chapter, uh, there was a mention during the story that Mira was telling about the Lord of Griffins mm-hmm. at the um, the tourney of Harrenhal, mm-hmm. right? Right. Uh, so uh, just another mention briefly of uh, Lord Connington. Yeah. And then later Ned would face him, sort of, and run him out of the Sept. That's interesting. It's just cool that, uh, as you're saying, this is a place where this great battle happened years ago, but now it's just a statement to how much disorder there is in the world that people, like, it's a ghost town for more or less, and people come out only when something terrible is happening to somebody in the square. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just kind of... 
it's a different place now. Well, it's interesting because this was a place where, like you said, this this had to take place, and and part of who would who would one day become king of the seven kingdoms had men, and and there was purpose. And now we've got a band of outlaws essentially who are walking as the cat's pajamas through town, and everyone's yelling at them. They're like, "Hey, you know," basically throwing them chunks of bread and <laughs> and having a good time. They're it's best just, buds with these guys, right? It's totally different. <laughs> it's just not the same, and, and and that's fine. Lots of years has passed. It's the faces, though, that they you know almost take comfort in because who knows who's going to roll up, right? Right. You never know who's going to show up at the door these days. It could be the mountain for all they know. Yeah. One other thing I thought was important, and you know, it goes back to Eric when you were talking about Arya being willing to give these men water. I think you know you don't really get a hundred percent certainty on if all of them are Stark men, but it seems like some of them are. Um, but it could be a mix. We don't know. Um, I think it is important that because I'm not entirely sure how much the show does this. Uh, I, I really can't remember to be honest with you, but I think the book does a much better job of showing you that it's not just Lannister is bad and Stark is good. There are men on both sides who really take advantage of situations, who rape, who pillage, who do all these bad things. And the Brotherhood seems like a group that kind of keeps them all in check. You know, just because Arya is a Stark doesn't really mean that they're going to keep the truth from her about what war is really like. Ned was here heroic at one time, slaying six men and and being this bastion that would that would, you know, this victory helped lead to other victories that eventually led to a certain level of success in their plight and their cause. Whereas now we have essentially his men there in cages. And I feel like the closest people that are allies to the old way uh, in the same place are the outlaws that are walking in. They're the ones that still call Ned the hand. They're the ones that still reference Robert as the king. I feel like they're they're kind of living in this time. And, and we see Arya dealing with just the disappointment. You know, she, I forget what the yeah. exact quote was, but she's like, I just want to hit them and tell them that they're stupid. And, and, and you know, basically ask them where... Where did you go wrong? You were my father's men, and now you're hanging in a, a, a crow's cage, rotting. <laughs> and, and you deserve to be there, yeah. For what you've done, absolutely. Well, I, I think, too, there there's something I didn't consider when first reading it, which is that because they're her father's men, that that could you know influence why she gives them the water. Um, I thought you know, so, it's, too. It's kind of like a, a queenly thing to do or princessly thing to do, to care for your men, even though they're being obviously imprisoned and punished and Angai just shoots them all with arrows after she does it like that kindness that she does to them um, with their, you know, grant sort of grants them their dying request. Right. It's like a last will and Testament almost. Yeah. It's, 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 I don't know. It's very interesting that she does that. Obviously she, she can figure out that it won't do much good, but she does it anyway. And she, def- she still is defying her elders. She's still defying everybody around her who's saying, you know, what's that? He better not do that, you know? And she does it anyway. But you get a sense for why the well, the person in charge really uh, here is, goes by the name of the Huntsman. And it's got a, a little bit of an enigma to him. Uh, we don't um, beat him face to face in this chapter, uh, but we do get a good sense as to why he feels the way he does and why these men are caged up because it says – when the Westermen came through, they raped the huntsman's wife and sister, put his crops to the torch, ate half his sheep, and killed the other half for spite, killed six dogs, too, 
and threw their carcasses down his well. What the hell? So they poisoned the drinking water, too. Yeah, this just, I don't know. It just makes no sense at all. They just screwed shit up. Yeah. I mean, I understand you know, the rage and the bloodlust and, you know, especially the mob psychology when you're in a, uh, if you're in a band of, let's say, 30 or so guys that are just, just hooting and hollering and going nuts, you can understand how maybe they'd get carried away and act completely stupid. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying. Yeah. And, but individually, when you look at the situation, how could you, how could throwing dogs down a well ever be a good idea? Like you might need that water <laughs> one day or someone, I don't know. It's just it's, Throwing a dog down a well demonstrates a complete lack of control. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's insanity really. And that's what's broken. I, I just love that George is just pounding it in our head. Just the, uh, it just never stops. I want to read some really kind of grotesque stuff about the guys that are in the cages, just because I feel like if some of you at home aren't reading along with us and that you're just kind of listening to, uh, our, our commentary on the matter. Uh, yeah. I'd like for you to understand what George put into these pages, just to, like I said, again, make it evident to us that this is a brutal, brutal place to live in. It says, uh, there was another dead man beyond the old one, a big red bearded man with a rotting gray bandage covering his left ear and a part of his temple. But the worst was between his legs, where nothing remained but a crusted brown hole crawling with maggots. Farther down was a fat man. The crow cage was so cruelly narrow, it was hard to see how they'd ever gotten him inside. The iron dug painfully into his belly, squeezing bulges out between the bars. Long days baking in the sun had burned him a painful red from head to heel. When he shifted his weight, his cage creaked and swayed, and Arya could see pale white stripes where the bars had shielded his flesh from the sun. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's Ouch. so there's like half the men in these cages are dead, and then the other half kind of look dead. And it's it's a heck of a... It's a heck of a thing to see. I, I have my favorite part is uh, from just before the excerpt where you read. I'm going to read this. The bars allowed so little room that the prisoners could neither sit nor turn. They stood naked, exposed to sun and wind and rain. The first three cages held dead men. Carrion crows had eaten out their eyes, yet the empty sockets seemed to follow her. The fourth man in the row stirred as she passed. Around his mouth, his ragged beard was thick with blood and flies. They exploded when he spoke, buzzing around his head. He's asking for water. So here's a man who looks dead, acts dead, and there's flies in his mouth. But It smells dead. There's flies and blood in his mouth, but then he speaks. All the flies go scurrying because he's still alive, and he wants water. And the, the, one of the most interesting parts about this are, are the people that are living in this town, especially the children. That are, This is just the, this is just their day-to-day. This is, what, this is what they're exposed to. These people rotting, <laughs> smelling, naked, nasty, in the middle of town. Uh, yeah. war, is, war is rough right now in Westeros. Yes. I want to make sure that everyone listening understands that. It is... This chapter did a really good job of, of, of making it the case. But I'm I'm so happy that you brought up the children in this town because we don't know how many of them are Roberts or not. Yes, that's true. Um, that's kind well, of at least a, two of them are a humorous. Yeah, right. <laughs> Gendry and and that and the Bella. lady. Yeah, he almost got freaky with his half sister. Well, I mean, you know, it, we, we don't know for sure, but she, sure. he did like her mom the best. So yeah. Yeah. The seed is strong. It was just, it's because Robert was hiding here or whatever, hiding, <laughs> whatever that means. And uh, I guess he just got busy in the meantime and, and often visited this place before the battle erupted. But, um, the conversation comes up in, uh, in this, in this brothel where Arya is sitting and, and she notices, I mean, there's just a ton of women and, and these men are coming in and taking them upstairs and all this stuff. But this Bella, um, comes over and asks Gendry if, he wants her to ring his bells. <laughs> well, she's like, for the battle, 
I bet I could ring your bell too. It's good luck. Yeah, it's good See, luck. See, if Robert never came there with Eddard and had that battle, they would never have the catchphrase of the local whorehouse. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Ring but the bell. But who needs who needs a catchphrase <laughs> when you've got a name like the Peach? That's true. Well, I mean, that's dirty enough to begin with. So, yeah. really, don't need with anything a bite that, out of it too, no less. Right? That's overkill. No less. That is it's overkill. just hedonism. You don't need to eat that peach. <laughs> <laughs> You're just gonna leave it there with one bite out of it. Yeah, that's true. I, I just love that in the midst of of this of what's become of the Stony Sept, this place is still open for business, and it just speaks volumes to the kinds of people that are populating the streets at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's you mean paying customers? Hard. Yeah, paying <laughs> customers, and, and you know, it's just I'm not gonna I'm taking all my judgment off. You know, let yeah. let them let them do what they want to do. Well, I, I, I find it hard to judge any of these people at the moment. When again, uh, and guy had just put in three arrows into the people that, that Arya had so majestically, you know, had given water, like, like a shining highborn. I am Arya Stark. Yeah. Well, and, I would judge the old guy that comes in and tries to hit on Arya. Yeah. That's a yeah. Bit rough. That guy's creepy. And it's not, and it's like one of those things that you're forced to wa- watch. Like while you're reading, you just like, you're Captain so nasty breath. It's like, that's my name. Yeah, the Nasty first the description of his breath. <laughs> Lieutenant. Then like he tries cool. to like recruit her and Gendry comes and is like, That's my sister. And he's like, Why are you bringing your sister to a place like this? He's like, it's pretty much he just feels like it's fair game, like he's entitled to like accost Arya because she's there. I have to say, dude, uh Gendry handled it much, much more relaxed than I would have. I think I would have I would have lopped the guy off the bench he was sitting on real quick. Just for talking to the 10-year-old girl, especially if she was, like, my pal. Like, get out of here. You never know when you're going to cause a riot, though. Like, that's just the – like, you punch one guy, he goes into somebody else by accident. (laughs) I like that that's where your mind goes. You've watched way too much Men in Tights. (laughs) (laughs) People file in suits of armor and you knock one over and then the the battle's done. They fall Yeah, yeah, all up and down the stairs. No, I think, like, it's it's funny because um, Gendry, too, like, there's this play between him and Ari about her being so high-born in this chapter. But but really, like, he – doesn't start this huge fight like he could. He he gets the guy off of her and he clearly detests this old man as I think we all should. But that's it. He just gets her away from Arya and then it's just like live and let live, you know, kind of thing. He he, he doesn't start anything. Yeah. And there's also um some conversation too that uh, Arya hears uh throughout the course of her time kind of sitting around in the the lounge slash bar area, I guess you could call Drinking it. Drinking her uh, watered wine. Yeah, and she overhears more about uh, Catelyn and the Kingslayer and Brienne. And uh, it's more news that uh, she has a hard time believing that her mother would have actually set Jamie free. Uh, and she just uh, – she doesn't want to come to terms with it. And she it actually says that she felt lonely and sad and angry because she, she's just – all this, all these little drips and drabs of news she keeps getting seems to be worse and worse each time. Those implications are pretty darn heavy. Yeah. Towards the end of this particular chapter, because I don't really think there's much more that that happens there. But uh, you know, she goes off and she goes to sleep. Uh, she says her nightly prayers, which includes the names of people she wants to die. Very nice. Which is, you know, that in and of itself shows Arya's change, right? I mean. She's going, and I know she's been doing this for a while now, but the fact that you have a 10 year old girl that goes to sleep saying the names of the people that she wants to kill, uh, you know, I mean, come mm-hmm. on, like how many 10 year old girls that you know or that you knew growing up 
would do that. I mean, that is clearly none. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I can't, I can't say I've known anyone. No, but just think about that and then, and think about what she's going through in this chapter. It it can only lend itself for her to sort of grow into this. I don't know what she's going to grow into. Like, I, I, I feel like, but her experiences are, are they're really messed up. They are, but they've, out of that. And I think out of just the person that she obviously was growing up, uh, has rendered this strong discipline, and uh, that will do nothing but lead to great results, which mm-hmm. whatever those results may be, this routine, this dedication to her routine, and this dedication to be sitting in the uh, the, the lounge area of the peach and to be looking around and ha- having her mind, the thought go across, I, I need to remember what Sirio taught me. He taught me to see and, and feel and to understand what's happening and to really take it in mm-hmm. and to, to gauge what's happening. And that kind of allowed her to uh, to really break down the ins and outs of how this brothel in particular works. Now, does this this knowledge do anything for her survivability in this case? No, I don't think she needs to worry about that. But she was thinking... Okay, well, could I maybe steal a horse since everyone is so busy? You know, half of my friends that I came in with, uh, Lem and Guy, uh, Tom's playing his guitar with all the ladies by the fire. You know, it's just they're all busy doing their thing. In this moment, could I could I essentially escape? And then, you know, we, we she goes further in her mind and starts thinking about the captain. And the reason I'm saying this is because this is all happening while she's there. She's able to to take in the moment and then to to move her mind sideways a bit while still being there and to think about all these other things. It's not because she's so great. It's because she has disciplined herself and she has basically like like a, a bodybuilder would do with weights. She has strengthened her, her brain and her senses. And uh, like I said, if she keeps this discipline, she's going to be a force to be reckoned with here in a few years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, she tests herself. She mixes up the names, you know, to, to see if she can still remember. Just to keep the images fresh, like just to keep the memories fresh of what they did and who they are. It says that in this chapter. Mm-hmm. It's, it's badass, but you're right. It's It just comes down to discipline. Yeah, definitely. And she has a particular dream here, another wolf dream. And nothing that really stands out of the ordinary. I mean, but she she's with her pack, right? And she gets some fresh kill. But it, it's just that other connection that you know, we've seen with Bran. We've seen even with John. And... Uh, shows that Arya has a, still a deep connection to her direwolf. I, I like to think of it as checking in with Nymeria every time we get these little <laughs> It's like phone a friend. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, well, use your lifeline. It's so much easier than George writing a point of view chapter for her wolf. It's just, let's give her a paragraph. Nothing really crazy happens. She hunted. Everyone's happy. They ate. <laughs> they said that she, she says that she's with her brothers and sisters, like her brothers and sisters are all around her. And I can't help but believe that that's just the other direwolves, you know. Like well, that would be that are- wonderful. But we know that we know where Ghost is, and we know where where Summer is, and where Shaggy Dog. So it's like, eh, yes, maybe yeah. that's not the case. You know, maybe they come, maybe they uh, come together in the evenings. I, I I think our brothers and sisters are just the packs of wolves that, or or just I should say, pack of wolves that she, as Nymeria has created. I don't and know. I like the idea that they all go to running the same, around like, with her dream place. Oh, listen, I'm with you. If they could teleport yeah. and all just run around high heart and hang out, maybe that they would be, are. That'd be brilliant. Maybe they are. We're gonna find that out in the sixth book. Like, when's the winter is gonna come out? And it's oh, the the direwolves have teleportation abilities. Eric gave me the idea. So that'd this awesome. chapter uh, it happens. wraps up 
with the return of the Mad Huntsman, Arya wakes up return from her, her dream. The return of the king. Oh, Mad king. Sound. Oh, wait. Was that Shire? Well, That's Howard Shire. Shore. Fireworks, Gandalf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, he is not alone. He has another captor for the cages. Ugh. We get some information about this person, but we learn from Arya, who does see this person's face, that it is not, in fact, the Kingslayer. So she breathes a sigh of relief. But it begs the question, who is this? I thought chapter. it was the Kingslayer. Chapter doesn't say. The chapter doesn't say, but um, there is a paragraph that describes the situation. And I think George did a very good job, a very crafty man, that crafty. that Mr. Martin, mixing words and being uh, very, very uh, elusive. I think we can figure out who it is. Arya heard one of the riders laugh. Here's your new castle, you bloody Lannister bastard, he said. A little snug for the likes of you, but we'll squeeze you in, never fret. Beside him a prisoner sat sullen, with coils of hempen rope tied around his wrists. Some of the townsmen were throwing dung at him, but he never flinched. You'll rot in them cages, his captor was shouting. The crows will be picking out your eyes while we're spending all that good Lannister gold of yours. And when them crows are done, we'll send what's left of you to your bloody brother, though I doubt he'll know you. Oh, okay. So ah. let's pick this apart. He's got a ton of Lannister uh, gold on him. He's big because the cage is going to be snug for him. He's got a brother. Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin. It's Kevin Lannister, right? No? So he's a big dude in the Lannister employ who'd be carrying gold oh. as a brother. Oh, it's not a Lannister. Plus, we've seen the show. It's a hound. It's got to be the hound. <laughs> like Eric, we've seen the show. That is pretty cool. I guess you can kind of piece together who that is. That's awesome. I did not know. I did not look into it. Because at first I thought it was a Kingslayer. This is great. Yeah. Yes. Well, because like, he's a Lannister man, but not a Lannister. It's like, it's confusing for people who are, right. you know, because it's like, he's a bannerman and it's still one of them, so. I have been missing and, and wishing for moments with the Hound ever since uh, season four came around. Not that I didn't enjoy the ones previous to season four, but I've really, you know, I really, really grew, grew close to him after that chicken incident. <laughs> <laughs> Talking makes him thirsty. It's oh, like, I'm right with you. <laughs> I get you. And wow. So he's here. I don't want... Any, I, okay, so we can. That's him. That's how. Okay, I'm excited. So it's, it's obviously it's different from the show, right? Uh, uh, much much different. Um, Doesn't and, he catch her running away from the? No, he comes into the end. He gets captured by the Brotherhood, mm-hmm. and then he fights Beric, um, and and um, wins, I should say. So you're starting to see, even though the general plot line is is the same, you're starting to see small deviations now from from the show because we definitely were not in the stony sept um you know back when this took place uh, right in the in the tv show they, they did a really good job of adapting now that i know sort of how it took place because there's there's so much that happens with the traveling of Arya and the brotherhood at this point with with high heart and with uh, the last chapter we have with her and now with this with this place it, they're different places but they did a good job of kind of condensing it into an end and then yeah. bringing the hound in, so I, that's pretty pretty nicely done. Yeah, and and I think that you definitely feel Arya's journey a lot more reading it in the books. Not to say that the show didn't do a good job because they definitely did, but you really get the sense that Arya has been on the road now for a long, long time, trying mm-hmm. to get back to her family for a long, long time, and 
you know, it's just like she's going from one group to the next to the next to the next, and she's just never getting there. Yeah, she talks about um, wanting to find a map and figure out where the Stony Sept is in relation to River Run. Like, she wants to know how close she is. That is her goal. She needs to get back to her family. Damn. This is cool. I'm going to read these last two sentences, or two or three. Down in the square, a thrown stone caught the captive on the cheek, turning his head. Not the Kingslayer, Arya thought, when she saw his face. The gods had heard her prayers after all. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, Eric, how do you feel about this? This is the way we're getting introduced to the Hound. Uh, she was brought one of the people off of her list. Well, I think that the glee that she feels <laughs> is justified, but possibly... I, you, we never like seeing forced loss of innocence. You could argue everybody in this world has passed it, but... I don't know. It's just, it might be dangerous for Arya to, you ever hear the saying? Yeah, of course you've heard. Be careful what you wish for. Like, she's finally going to be able to uh, kill this guy. Or, you know, there's a possibility that, as, as it says, her dreams could be answered. That she could see to it that the Hound dies. I think she just, she's very over-eager, very eager to get a name crossed off her list. And it's what is pretty much keeping her going, keeping her sane, because she's not getting what she wants. She's not going to River Run. And so the very next best thing is for her to come into contact with somebody who's, who's on her, you know, kill list and for her to be able to scheme and plot and figure out how she can bury this guy is going to be like what occupies her mind until, you know, until she ends up, you know, being able to worry about getting back to River Run again. I cannot wait for the next Aria chapter. This is awesome. Well, it's it's, it's the pairing of the uh, dynamic duo that we've yes. waited so long oh, for. One of them. I don't yeah. know yes. how he's going to get out of this because I feel like she's thinking right now, the second he's in that damn cage that that guy was in before they dumped him out for the dogs, I'm going to go down there with any sword that I can find and just stab him in the throat. Yeah. Oh, and he's in a cage too, so they're going to have to hold Arya back. Exactly. I'm interested. I just want to know how it all works out because I know her mind's ticking at this moment and mine is too. So I'm just like, hmm. We must avenge Micah. To get to the next Aria chapter yeah, so badly. That's, that's right. Avenge that's awesome. me. Um, <laughs> but you know, one other thing that was uh, vastly different this week than uh, what was in the show was uh, the ease with which John and Grit were able to climb the wall. I mean, yeah. How about that ladder? <laughs> they, they made it. It's like the uh, the golden ladder or something that, that just gets thrown down for royalty. Hey, or climb the wall. You just say ease. It's a five hundred foot ladder. I get that. Or what is eight hundred feet? The ladder that that they extend the point down. that they're climbing the wall is eight hundred feet high. But the way that the trees have grown, and also that the uh, the earth has grown or has just I guess silted up around it. Uh, of right. course, the trees are like three hundred feet high. Right, it, it's 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 cut into it, so we they're getting essentially a fraction of the the, the snow climbing yeah. that they would have to do previously. Yeah. Well, that was really cool. I mean, there's a lot of really cool stuff about the wall in this uh, John Snow chapter. And I mean, but you're right, Mike. I mean, it does. Well, it kind of loses something, except if you've ever climbed a ladder for, or like even going up more than two flights of stairs, like no, not rushing up, but just climbing stairs over time gets really physically exhausting. And, and so, uh, yes, they do have it I've easier. I've climbed a wall or two in my day. I climbed a wall well, They have it easier in the book well, than they did in the show. What but I'm still, surprised. It's not necessarily easy. Yeah, but I'm surprised though. And, and yes, they did provide a reason for why uh, Jarl and his man, you know, 
fought to go up to the top first. But knowing John's situation, why they didn't task him with it, you know, put him at risk, make him the guy that had to go up there. Yeah. And, you know, throw down the, uh, the rope to secure the ladder. Him any grit for that matter. I was surprised by that. It was interesting. They, they just don't trust him, right? I mean, you wouldn't trust somebody who is who also who hasn't done it before to do it. I think that's part of it. I think that at the end of the day, um, you know, they prepared for the non-skilled climbers just so they could maximize their uh, input of people to get over the wall. You know, why why try to be hardened? just for Harden's sake. I think that Mance is a lot smarter than that. So supplying them with the extra long lengths of hemp that all the climbers brought, and then again with the ladders being tied to the hemp, pretty smart. Uh, because you, you, enough enough people were lost in this day-long mission anyway. Like No more needed to be put to it, especially people that have, haven't done it before. That's quite a, a learning curve, uh, an 800-foot wall to climb of, of weeping ice. And I, I remember the um, the season uh, preview for when they're just them climbing the wall and you're just like, oh, my gosh, here is this huge iconic. It's a barrier. It's like the world ends at the wall here. They are just climbing it like humans, like, right. It's like ingenuity. That's so freaking cool and scary because these these um, wildlings who are these dangerous people are just coming over the wall like it ain't no thing and suddenly this barrier between the two worlds is is broken and it turns out they do this all the time and it's it's not it doesn't bode well it's what i'm trying to get to this chapter was 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 solid though i i had a great time with it because uh i felt like it was interesting that we were we were put in front of the wall the way we were and it was it was also kind of neat to find out how long this would take because you wouldn't think i guess you wouldn't think it would take it this long but they started in the 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 very early morning this is there's a really beautiful paragraph of the uh you know the the russets and the the golds (laughs) and greens changing in the forest and uh you could still see the sword of the morning hanging in the sky so it was still it was just dark enough for the sun to be rising and for a star to still be seen and uh john didn't make it spoiler alert he makes it uh, to the top (laughs) of the wall until past midnight i mean this was a this was an excursion and it, they didn't make a lot of, you know, imagine something taking that long, well over 12 hours. And the amount of, of distance that you've traversed is 800 feet and you've lost, you know, lives in the process. The, uh, the, the other part of this, too, is I think John, who's able to successfully remain, I guess, pretty much at ground level until the ladder is thrown down, from what I'm gathering anyway, unless he was also climbing the stone. Um, you know, he, he's able to remain at a safe elevation or safer elevation this whole time. He's thinking about the watch and how there are used to be rangers or there would be rangers, how basically the forest, the wood shouldn't even be here, that the, the, the wood that's brushing up against the wall, like in the older days when the wall was better staffed, they cut all the trees down for a period of, you know, for a distance but now their only hope or John's only hope is that rangers are going to come look over the wall and see this happening. But even when an entire like group falls to their deaths because this wall just gives away pieces of it, chunks of ice slide down, it, it you would think it would make a noise loud enough or whatever, but nobody comes. And so it's like this hopelessness that uh, John is facing because he just kind of wants to go off underground with a grit. 
and <laughs> bone down underground. <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't want to be here, so no. he's hoping for these arrows, you know, to put these to kill everybody. Children, <laughs> but it yeah. shows it shows how long the wall is, right? You know, John is holding out hope in this chapter. There's no question. He's and it it made me flash back, but I guess based upon where we are in the story, flash forward to the battle that takes place because you know he talks about the sheer numbers and the fact that you know with just a few people right he would be able to defend the wall against thousands right there's that great line about um it doesn't matter how many men you have or like a wall is only as strong as the men who mm-hmm. hold it from and ned. ned again it's another nugget from ned ned's nuggets it should just be a second <laughs> other show. Ned's. <laughs> That's Ned's a dirty nuggets. Game of Thrones video that. Uh, oh right, right, right. We're not well, allowed to talk about. But no, but it's 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 and it's true. You can understand. I mean, the wall is a huge tactical. Like it's the wall does most of the work. Let's be honest. <laughs> We've been defending yeah. the wall. Yeah, it defends itself. That's another line. From, That's another line. It's one of Egret's uh, e nuggets. But even the Thens, right? As they're approaching the wall, it's noted that they've probably never seen this thing before and it's intimidating to them it frightens the hell out of them right i I mean john says like the the wall was always seen as the end of the world at the north but it's just the same for these then who would surely have never been south of it enough to even see it I, i thought that these chapters both of them were more so about the description of of where they were and everything around them, the environment, right? Whether it was Arya in the Stony Sept and the really gruesome depictions that we were getting from what she was bearing witness to, or it's John sitting here about to climb over the wall and just, it's described, everything is described in such detail. Mm-hmm. Like I thought it was really cool how they were describing the tools that the wildlings and the Thens were using, like how, you know, the, the ingenuity, mm-hmm. yeah, that went into creating these things so that they would be able to do what, you know, probably in modern day would be so much easier. We just fly over it. It's really satisfying to have that level of description because I want to know how they're going to climb this 800 foot. Like you, you put this 800 foot wall there and they're going over it. Like I want to know everything about what they're carrying with them because that just makes it more believable and more satisfying. You can like be uh, happy for these guys when they reach the top um, in a, in a, in a sick twisted way, just because it's kind of brilliant, you know, and they happen to pack this, this rope for, or the people who remain on the ground had the ladder um, rope, but they fished this rope down, brought the ladders back up. You know, it's just really smart. Absolutely. I have, I have nothing but respect for these people. And I think that, so you, you made the reference to what we would do in modern day. Like, yes, we would, we would use our technology in the past work, of other brave people to to scale this wall, but they don't have that luxury. You know, where their history is in this world, they have to become the kinds of people that are like Stone Snake in their 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 strength and their size and and then their bravery. And they have to put on doe skin with bone with spikes and <laughs> yeah. whatever whatever kind of alloy that they can find. They're and they have to walk antlers. up to something that's literally have you guys ever seen the Hoover Dam? Yeah. In person? Terrifying. Not from ground. Not in person. Okay. Not from in the person, ground. it's terrifying. And you're just like, okay, that's huge. The Hoover Dam is not as is not as big 
as what they're climbing right now. So anybody and listening at home, sli- you know, as slippery. Absolutely, yeah, it'd be different climbing uh, concrete. I think uh, was it in, in Vegas vacation? It's or, or National Lampoon's vacation yeah, at some yeah, point. Yeah. Uh, Gris, hey, what's his name? Griswold. Clark. Uh, yeah, Clark is is is, is messing around with the, the whole thing. Anyway, yeah. long story short, you would be so terrified walking up to this. Yeah. And uh, George does such a fantastic job. And I know it's so hard to do it through a book. And even in a TV show, it's hard to to give you that same sort of chilling fear. So so do your best, uh, people listening, to just imagine yourself standing in front of this looming structure that not only is that huge, but unlike the Hoover Dam, it goes as as far as you can see and in both directions. And it's just right there. And this is what you have to do. And uh, some of your friends will die during this trek i mean what you're doing has to be very 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 seriously important in order uh to put this many grown people that are considered free to the task and they're doing it for a couple of swords and their names in a song right i mean (laughs) (laughs) perspective if they make it perspective perspective. yeah yeah no but it just it shows you the sort of the free nature of them right they they could do whatever they want like they could go over the wall and never come back you can do anything if you put your mind it's true Right, they're they're free. People, I just saw though. an inspirational poster of them climbing the wall, and it just says you can do anything. It's true though, and they're yeah. they're so hardened and disciplined and brave, and I just I have nothing but respect for the people, uh, mm-hmm. and and the world of this story. You know, it's uh, I mean, Igrit is brought great. to tears, uh, and she was able to climb the ladder. You know, climb on the ladder. I mean, even are we, the ladder. Are we go back to the. <laughs> the song that we sang and what song the climb, right? I feel like that was a year ago, but it wasn't. Uh, speaking of freedom, though, I I thought that John Egret, either of them, could have really just taken off when you know there's that moment where these these wildlings come crashing down. Not not the first test run where some of them actually survived, but when the whole sheet of ice just yeah sloths off the uh, the wall and. Is it Jarl? I call him Jarl. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't see Jarl. Yeah, I think it's Jarl. That was just the sound he made when he fell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a Wilhelm scream in my head when the <laughs> fifty foot wide and one foot thick sheet of ice just fell off the wall and and sped toward the ground. Uh, yeah, but I I know that he probably has some fear of the Thens, except especially Magnar. Uh-huh. But he probably could have left in that moment and nobody would have been any of the wiser. Well, I mean, he would have had to leave with the grit, right? Cause that's the whole thing is like, he doesn't want to, there's this inner uh, struggle about whether, even if he makes it over the wall, if he'll have a place because he's like, Oh, I want to escape these men, but I'm not really welcome with Egrit at the wall either. He's like, I'm not, he's, he's debating whether or not they could be together on I on both sides of the wall. I feel like that's the interesting twist that George integrated into the story because you're totally right, Micah. Um, he could have essentially just taken off, but um, the loyalty that he has is more than loyalty to someone he respects as a man per se. He <sighs> he loves her uh, as close as as to love as as he knows. And uh, on top of that, she would also cause a ruckus to, if he was trying to convince her to leave. So add those two things together and there's your plot hole. Like yeah, that, that's that, t- that, that end was tied up there. Yeah. I was just thinking also different from the show is, you know, they don't go over with Aurel who at this point, the book is already dead and oh. they don't go over with Tormund, right? Who, I mean, right. that was one of the best shots 
I'll be honest with you, of, of the season. That's what was in the teaser. The pickaxe. Yeah, of, of him climbing the wall is just, mm-hmm. it was really, really awesome. So um, those two are not with them. And so, you know, they don't, they don't face the same struggles going up the wall as, you know, we see in the show. But obviously, it made for better TV um, if they, you know, encounter some issues as they're making their way up the wall. And even Egrit says that, you know, she has some issues at one point. And um, I liked her response to John, to be honest with you, when John says, it's made of ice. And she says, you know nothing. <laughs> it's made of blood. It's made of blood. Yeah. I mean, it's so cool. Like, right. I mean, she she's always there to kind of one up him because there is truth to what she's saying. Like John's so matter of fact about everything, and he grit just jumps in with her, her little nuggets. I'll use that word again. Her little nuggets of wisdom. What did you guys think about this final line? She, she's essentially kind of annoyed at John because he's he's trying to console her. Which don't okay. Don't. <laughs> the worst is behind us. She's John tried to sound confident. Don't be frightened. He tried to put an arm around her. Egret slammed the heel of her hand into his chest so hard it stung even through his layers of wool, mail, and boiled leather. I wasn't frightened. You know nothing, Jon Snow. And uh, we learned that the reason she was crying now, I'm, I'm, I'm working my mind out on this. I'm crying because we never found the Horn of Winter. We opened half a hundred graves and let all those shades loose in the world and never found the Horn of Jormon to bring uh, this cold thing mm. down. What does that mean? So, what do you guys think? No. Uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get to owns. Uh, no, I, I think that um, in this moment, she is frightened and he was 100% right. I think that her fear shows through in her statement. She has now climbed the wall and she knows what it's like and she knows the danger that exists. And she realizes now being on top of the wall that she hasn't, or maybe not her specifically, but the wildlings, man's, never came across this horn that you know legend has could bring down the wall wake the giants bring down the wall right and that scares her because i don't because i think she realizes that this is a this is a very large barrier to the rest of her people being able to get away from whatever it is that is coming for them in the dark i can understand why she would be very upset about it especially after just finishing it because she's thinking about all of the rest of the people that are uh in their their band and not not their immediate band, but all the people that are following Mads. And I'm assuming that she's just like, there's no way. There's mm-hmm. no way. What scares me a little bit, though, is that she says that they opened half a hundred graves to let all those shades loose in the world. Yeah, and I, shades. I, I wonder, you know, does, does that mean others? You know, d- did they open up graves and never burn the bodies? Or, or is she just speaking metaphorically and saying, you know, we opened up these graves and let loose these people's souls basically into the world and d- have nothing to show for it? Yeah. I think using shades to describe them would be more of an ethereal, yeah, like a literal description. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's hard to say. It's very, very hard to say. I mean, at the same time, I'm just looking at the end of that sentence and thinking, is this the thing that Mance was looking for beyond the milk water? Like, were the were the stories of what they were doing true, or is this just a bit of a of a superstition again? That you know, coming from where she's coming from, um, and you know, the stories that she normally has. This is just is this just another bit of that? But he's he he puts it at the end of the chapter and leaves us more things to wonder. Just say like perspective wise, now that they're on the top of the wall looking back down, like 
I don't want the wall to be able to shrink and melt into nothingness. I don't want that horn to ever be found because then there would be nothing to keep the whites out. Yeah. I mean, this was a coordinated effort. We don't know if the whites are as coordinated that they could, you know, carry with them climbing gear, that sort of thing. I, I don't know. It's, do you think? Well, that's that, just the whites. And then you have the white walkers who, right. have, you know, I don't know that they need anything to I, uh, honestly, get through I the wall either. Well, the wall keeps them out. I mean, apparently. So who knows? I mean, they have they can climb with their hands. You're suggesting they could just walk through the wall or climb it with their bare hands. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Oh, yeah. Huh. Being the kinds of beings that they are, I I, I don't see the wall being necessarily uh, a, uh, very much of an obstacle for them. I thought it was built to keep them out, though. I think it was built to keep out a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. No, very interesting. So uh, a lot of stuff actually went on in both of these chapters, right? More yeah. than I think we. More than I gave it them credit for. How about that? I won't, I won't loop you two guys into that. Won't uh, won't put any blame on your shoulders. Eric, you never to... actually commented on that. What did you think on on first pass? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's downtime, but it, the description keeps things alive. Um, I probably liked the John chapter a little better, um, except to say that those those dying men. You know, that description will probably haunt me. I probably won't be able to sleep very well tonight. <laughs> Jeez. So what were your owns then from uh Well, you these mentioned chapters? you did mention how complex this uh chapter was and I just have to love the fact that we actually got a mystery a mystery has more or less been solved. Uh we heard about Ned Stark and Arya's grandfather meaning Hoster Tully who came to this inn and who should we find at this inn but a woman named Tansy. Mm-hmm. This was sort of the sleeper surprise of the chapter. Here's a quote uh, that I have here. <clears throat> Tansy, you leave the bull alone. He's a good lad, said Tom Sevenstrings. All we need from you is safe beds for a night. Beds we got, said red-haired Tansy. There's never been no lack of beds at the peach, but all you'll climb in a tub first. Last time you lot stayed under my roof, you left your fleas behind. So... Own to Tansy, first of all, for being Tansy, the woman that Hoster Tully on his deathbed is uh, calling out for, um, clearly left a mark, but also this woman who makes Arya and mostly all of these men take a bath um, before they can stay over it at, at the inn. So, yeah, double own to Tansy. Now I'm curious, because I know that Hoster was calling out for Tansy, but now I'm just like... What is this moon tea or this person? Well, it's that and the fact that he was here. He's here in this story with Ned. So, like, that was the time that whatever happened between Tansy and Hostertelli happened then. So, my own goes to uh, Arya. Just for her one line after uh, Engai puts those arrows through the necks of <laughs> prisoners in those cages and she says, Valar Mogolis. Yeah. It's like, she's, she's changing. Mm hmm. The times it's a transformation. That's pretty much the best reply, though, because they're already dying. There's not much you could do. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's almost die. it's almost said in a matter of fact way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like she's like, yep. hey, you know what, yeah. all men, that they must die. Shit happens, then you die. After she just gave them water. Yeah, I will pass my own along to the hounds of the huntsman. Which I mean, fifty or so, half a hundred dogs yeah. of, of of various breeds and, and long yellow fangs, snapping and waking up an entire town, making Tom come out of bed completely naked. You know, Arya. Obviously, I thought it was so interesting that she was roused awake 
before all these grown adults that you would think would have like their eye on the prize of what's going on in this town just for safety's sake. But no, she was, that's the first thing I thought when I read it was just, oh, Arya is the, is the first one that's awake and that's, that's on top of the situation. And it was because of those damn dogs and they got a glorious lunch, nice fermented meat, lots of great probiotics and uh, other <laughs> complicated. Little grizzle, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So uh, own to you guys. I thought that was a pretty nice, uh, and also for the huntsman, just having that many animals at his command. That's pretty awesome. But over at uh, the owns for, for the John chapter now. Mm. I, I give my own to the wall for defending its self yeah <laughs> <laughs> breaking bad. off scaring egret i give my own to this bit of prose from george r. r martin i thought it was haunting it says and when they looked up jarl and his team were gone men ropes stakes all gone nothing remained above 600 feet there was a wound in the wall where the climbers had clung half a heartbeat before the ice within as smooth and white as polished marble and shining in the sun far far below there was a faint red smear, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where the bodies had fallen. Just a just a haunting bit of imagery there. That's a good own. I'd love to follow that own both. Uh, well, I'm going to follow the prose because two paragraphs later, Grig the Goat gets my own. <laughs> he's the one who actually made it to the top yes. of the wall first. He's the one who they will be singing about in Mance Raider's song if Mance Raider is around and able to keep his word. So... Grig the goat. Yeah, he did a pretty good job. <laughs> it was pretty cool, I guess. He well made done. it to the top of. He's the gonna water. get a sword too, right? Yeah. Oh That's yeah. Badass. And yeah. we may not have the same uh, capabilities of finding you listeners, Castle Forge Steel, as reward for your interactions and uh, daily hellos and owns and such for us. But what we can do is offer you the conversation based on the things you've sent us. So uh, let's head on over to uh, Facebook first and. Uh, as I noted in the post uh, that I made uh, over the weekend, uh, we made sure that when you scrawled your owns upon our wall that the wildlings who were climbing did not in any way interfere with your writing. And, and your writing in no way interfered with the wildlings. I want you to know that none of yeah, you it was, it's completely are different part to be of held wall, responsible right? for what happened to them. Yeah. We, we, we have our owns on a different part of the wall than the one that they were climbing on. <laughs> yeah. We weren't on the eastern sword part of the wall. We were on the western snaky, snaky part yeah, of the wall. Part of yeah. the wall. That's very important. Very, very Sam important. was able to secure that for us. We appreciate it. <laughs> we have insiders in the Night's Watch. And let me mm-hmm. tell you, it may not be the organization that it once was but they do know how to have a good time still <laughs> they do they do lots of mead lots lots of heavy mead first uh own came from jared kozal who says for aria own to gendry for saving aria from the drunk's unwanted affections and for wisely declining his half sister's offer to quote ring his bell and then he goes on to say bone down sadly hasn't made its way into the common parlance of westeros yet <laughs> Yet. 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 There's still hope. Uh, And then uh, for John, uh, it looks like Jared agrees with Eric. Uh, Own to Greg and Eric for understanding that slow and steady wins the race when you're scaling a 700-foot wall made of ice and death. And blood. Don't get taken in by Jarl's talk of swords and songs, and don't listen to Steer when he says you should hurry up. If the Magner is taking a ladder to the top of the wall... He doesn't get to pay, to play armchair quarterback. <laughs> nice. I mean, that's a good point. Oh, man. Not a bad point, Jared. I like that. Lani Anzavino also writes, she says, Owens for this week, for Arya's chapter, my own goes to Gendry for not accidentally sleeping with his half-sister, mm-hmm, Bella, and also for being Arya's protector in the peach. 
That'd be, I just thought of James and the Giant Peach because they were on a beach. That's my fault. That's For John Chapter, seven. my own goes to the wall itself. Yeah. Thank you, Lonnie. Not bad. Not bad at all. Mike Burns chimed in, submitting my own for the next Arya and John chapters. Arya, Gendry gets my own for being all big bro with Arya, protecting her from the drunken perv who is looking to bone down. <laughs> I love how our phrases are catching on with the listeners. I don't know if I do, but it's good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Mike Burns says, John, the wall gets my own for effortlessly killing a bunch of wildlings with nothing more than a stretch and a yawn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not bad. Oh, we're anthropomorphizing the wall right now. And why the we hell are. not? It's why not? just that intimidating. If there's any place you're listening to a Game of Thrones podcast, yeah. people, and we, we, we reached our 250th episode last week. So if there's any place to anthropomorphize the, the wall, it, it's here. Oh, I love it. I can't, again, with the inspirational posters, just a picture of the wall, the men in midair <laughs> falling to their deaths, and just like asterisk, yawn asterisk coming from the wall. And just have the yeah. George McFly quote on there if you marty if you set your mind to it you can accomplish anything <laughs> yeah, yeah. The double-sided it'll be it'll be holographic double-sided uh, yeah. inspirational posters. I like that. and uh also on facebook we heard from sylvia santoro who says Woo. you're amazing just wanted you to know that you have listeners from italy too and by listeners i mean i love the way you go through the chapters mixing in-depth analysis and humor and i adore kate's laugh it always makes me smile that's nice uh, can I just say, um, Sylvia, thank you and your country for your donation of deep dish pizza into my life. Thank you. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> Eric knows. Um, well, uh, taking it over to or taking things over to uh, Twitter now for our owns. We got uh, a bit of we got some really good ones too. Really diverse, different ones. Uh, Danny at the D Man on Twitter says, "Own to Robert." For making bastards that hit on each other. <laughs> the seed is strong. <laughs> Our good friend Ram Dent tweeted in to say, Arya owned the chapter with her description of a brothel. Quote, it's like an inn, but with girls. <laughs> yes, Arya. Uh, and also uh, wrote in, I'm assuming this one's for the John chapter. Own goes to George R. R. Martin for the excellent nature descriptions in the first paragraph mm-hmm. of the chapter. Agreed. Doug Stevens sent in a few tweets. He says, my own for having the sexiest voices. And I didn't expect that to happen. Oh, that's for us. <laughs> sexiest voices in podcast them. It's like chocolate for your ears. Mmm, that sounds pretty good. The Mad Huntsman owns the hound, he adds in. He also <laughs> says, honorable mention for Leslin owning Gendry and almost making him a Lannister. Oh. And he also says, in the John chapter, the Wildlings own Bran the Builder for not making the wall big enough. Yeah. In terms of what? The fact that they were able to get to the top. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Should have made it taller. Hey, he just he called your voices sexy, guys. Like uh-huh. chocolate for your ears. Mm. Why, why I'm going to try and put chocolate, chocolate in my ears later. <laughs> no, I would uh, advise against it. Takes a long time to clean, probably. <laughs> Nicole sends in uh, her owns. Gendry owns for saving his sisters from a creepy old dude and or incest. Yes. Uh, Nicole also says... In the John for the John chapter, rest in peace, in pieces, Jarl. You were owning the wall until it owned you. That's clever because he Man. was, he yeah. really was. And uh, Chris Roberts tweeted in, own for Arya Gendry all the way for one protecting his sis Arya, and two for somehow knowing to avoid kisses sexy and time hugs. with <laughs> his XOXO, sis. XOXO, hugs and kisses. kisses and hugs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> with his sis Bella. Uh. 
here's some uh, other tweets that Micah rounded up. It was it was very nice. Yeah. That that you did this for us, Mike. <laughs> um, the lady Ash writes and she says, "So happy to hear Kate appreciate Tyrion for Sansa the way I do. I get Sansa doesn't want him, but Tyrion would be so good to her." Wishful thinking, ladies. Wish. Yeah, you should go check out Watchers. He'd be uh, so good to you. We got a lovely <laughs> comment from Brienne of Tarth at Beauty Brienne on Twitter. <laughs> Just hearing that every time. Yeah, right. That's so cool. What Brienne have to say? She says the problem with podcasts as good as at Serial and at Game of Owns is that once you've caught up, you have to wait for new episodes. Yeah, well, it's truth. How do you think we feel about Game of Thrones? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, though. That's very uh, nice. Yeah. Super nice. Yeah, we did get a lot of tweets in also about uh, the fact that we reached a milestone of 250 episodes uh, and heard from quite a few listeners, including uh, Michael Cerrone, who said, here's to 250 more. Great podcast, great hosts, great entertainment, and great times. All great. Valor Podgalis. <laughs> All men and women must listen. Valor Podgalis. Like Podgalis. Simon Amundsen says, congratulations on 250 episodes. Thank you for the 250 grains of pure gold over the years. Aww. I like that. It's like grains, it's small, but yeah. gold is, you know, I think And over time, it adds up, and it's like heavy after a while. Yeah, Amy not, Christina wrote in, happy 250 to my favorite podcast. I've had you guys in my ear holes for two years now. Eric and Micah for seven, excited for the next 250. Oh. Thank you, Amy. And, uh, also heard from Roz. Always good to hear from Roz. Who oh, says, I miss uh, Roz. Congratulations. Here's to 250 more. Thanks, Not Roz. sure more what, but <laughs> episodes. You never know with Roz. You never know. <laughs> Nicole says, congrats. I've been listening from the start and have enjoyed every second of Camel Talk, Transitions, and Boning Down. Cheers. <laughs> we don't and then actually bone down on this show. We just talk about it a lot. You never know. Yet. When do the White Fawn writes in? OMG. This is all caps, people. OMG, people literally are staring because I am LOLing so hard at Kate's reenactment of seeing your first boner. <laughs> hashtag Zach finish your story. Hashtag 250. No, thank you. Follow up tweet, lowercase. Finish the up. And now I wish I was cool enough to be stared at in the wizarding world. But alas, hashtag Cube Farm. Mm-hmm. I think you're plenty cool, Wenda. Yes. Totally you're agree. Cube farms are awesome. I work in a cube farm. You come to one of our live shows, I'll tell you the damn story face to face. Finally here, we got a tweet in from our good friend, Brittany Black, who says, no more tea during Game of Owns after taking a sip right when Kate said she would pay money to see Sp- <laughs> to see Eric <laughs> whip himself. Yeah, I think I would too. That was a top moment. That yeah. was a... Uh, that was... <laughs> Just, that was- I just, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's pretty, it's just funny. <laughs> it's unex- it was unexpected, but, but not unpleasant. It was just funny. I think it's interesting. Um, if you're, if you, since we've, you've, we've just got done reading a lot of your correspondence and you, if you, if you've stuck around this long, you've just got done hearing it. The show is, is something that we're able to kind of, uh, provide with, to you guys. And this stuff is giving us laughter during said episode. This is very, uh, the, the, it's just all happening at the same time. It's, it's new. It's, uh, it's meta. It's, it's not like the TV show. There's no, you know, there's no amount of interaction. And of course, these mediums are completely different. But the point I'm, I'm trying to make is it's so, it's so neat to be able to do this with you guys. It's been a whole lot of fun. And, uh, I know we said something about it last week because it was our 250th episode. So it just kind of makes sense to say stuff like that during the 250th episode. But, uh, this has been a really great year. Uh, just for the show in general, apart from all the other things that we're doing in our lives. And it's, uh, 
it's really neat to know that during each week we have a we have a meeting place with our friends and uh with all of our other friends by proxy so thank you again definitely agreed and and it's always a blast when we do chapters that um have a lot to do with one another or in this case uh we read siblings for tonight's episode i want to say next week's episode we also have siblings lined up it's jamie first his fourth chapter and then Tyrion, his mm. fourth chapter so that will be a heck I thought Heck. you were going to say Davos and Sam. <laughs> no, they are not, as far as I know, <laughs> aware that they are infected. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's uh, Jamie and Tyrion, people. Lannister, send in your owns. Don't forget, we'll hope to have Kate back mm-hmm. uh, to talk about stumps. We will have her back. Yeah, she'll be back. She's going to be home in like 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> there are a number of different ways that you can get in touch with the show. Facebook and Twitter are just two of them. And uh, both of them, at Game of Owns on Twitter, and then facebook.com slash Game of Owns. You can also email us if you feel like writing us a little bit more. Contact at GameofOwns.com. And uh, you can leave us a review as well on uh, iTunes. Mm. And I know that uh, we're going to go spanning the globe, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, to find out uh, some reviews that people have left in different iTunes stores in different countries. But uh, for now, I brought it back home here to the good old US of A. And uh, we do have couple reviews to read one here from manzona great tell your father to hear <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's pretty that good this, you know see this is what i love about it though from you know just the fact that listeners are picking up things that that we talk about on this show the catchphrases but also the creativity the creativity really impresses me whether they're in tweets or facebook posts or reviews or just general conversation it's just it is amazing the creativity that uh some of our listeners have Tell your father to hear <laughs> this podcast it's the same diction it's the same syllables perfect yep. yep yeah change one word out get a completely different meaning yeah exactly so manzona says i love this podcast it's always entertaining especially when kate laughs mm-hmm. that's two for kate laughs so far today yeah. uh, and i love how they are sullied and unsullied on the show and yet nothing Get spoiled. I uh, look forward every week for a new episode so I can listen to you all in my ear holes. Best Game of Thrones podcast ever. High praise from someone as clever as you, Manzona. Thank you. By the way, uh, one out of one listeners found this review helpful. Oh, oh. very nice. So that is good. Um, also, uh, another review here from Mason J417 who says, I've been listening to this podcast since its conception. Or Inception. So I nine didn't months know, before I didn't know you were born. listening then. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It was private time. <laughs> anyway, uh, and there's only great things to say about it. The structure of the show and the chemistry between the hosts are awesome. It's funny when the Unsullied ponder what's going to happen in the future of the series. I would love more spoiler episodes just to see what the Sullied have to say. Mm. And then uh, Mason goes on to say uh, that he's not sure if he's going to watch season five or not because he's not sure uh, if he wants to get spoiled, but he will always support the podcast. Interesting. So, yeah, I think that's going to be tough for some people. I know we talked Certainly. about it um, a couple episodes ago, Kate and I, and then you guys um, you know, offered your thoughts, You know, obviously being purely unsullied, but uh, we'll see how this is going to play out now heading into uh, season five. It's, it's going to be a, a brave new world for all of us. I encourage uh, anyone that's thinking similarly that's listening to the show to uh, reach out and let us know. I'm, I'm curious to kind of learn more about this because 
I know that that would be so hard to do, but I completely understand that decision. Yeah. I understand it, especially, you know, somebody like Kate who has invested so much time into the series. You know, if you've been a reader from, let's say, day one, like, or, you know, even day, you know, 1200, you're still in good shape. Yeah. No, I, I think that it's, it's purely legit to say, Hey, look, I've been reading this series and I'm, I want to be surprised when I turn the page. I don't want to see it on the TV first. I, I would definitely understand somebody's uh, perspective. Well, it's 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 cool to get that kind of feedback from such dedicated fans of the series because I know that we like I've I've said before we could stay current with the with the books, trudge forward and read on and and uh, dedicate a lot of our content to theories and uh, the history and the lore of the world, which is something that I know that we would all love to do because especially with with MuggleCast and with the the kinds of conversations we just have personally about this kind of stuff. That's that's normally where we go content minded when it comes to these things. So for us, Game of Owns has been kind of an interesting experience because its goal was to be welcoming to all of you and not just the the select slice of uh, people that are dedicated enough to be on the same geekery as us. So it's basically a product of our geekery uh, in the confines of what we've done to ourselves. <laughs> right, Eric? Yep. So if uh, you would like to uh, be like Manzona or Mason, you can uh, head on over to iTunes, leave us some of your feedback, go and press that uh, star icon five times because it is the month of December, so nothing less than five stars is acceptable. And uh, we appreciate your feedback. Like I said, uh, want to try and get some reviews from other countries. I know we uh, we checked out the UK a couple weeks ago, and uh, we're going to try and, and do that in some other countries as well. This is the last month of the year, people. It's crazy. And it has been foretold that many great things will exist in 2015. Mm-hmm. Flying cars, hoverboards, and more episodes of Game of Thrones. It is known. All right. Well, as long as you say so, I believe you. Me too, buddy. Brothers identical. Elsa. Oh, Elsa. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tansy, actually. Tansy's the uh, no, Tansy's, Tansy's the, lady the lady. dude. Bella. It's definitely Bella. Are you sure?